This season of Life on a Plate is sponsored by Bart Ingredients, whose extensive range of quality herbs, spices, seasonings and pastes are all available at Waitrose. Bart offers so many simple, delicious ways to elevate your cooking, from aromatic whole spices to handy blends and pastes such as Ra's El Hanout or black garlic paste. They'll help you build incredible depth of flavour and create beautiful dishes. What's more, with over 50 years of experience working with producers all over the globe, Bart's guarantee their ingredients are grown and harvested responsibly with care for people and the planet. So whether you're just starting out on your cooking journey or you're, forgive the pun, a seasoned chef, you can relax and trust Bart to open up a world of exciting flavour. Go to waitrose.com forward slash Bart to discover the range. Hello and welcome to the second season of Life on a Plate, the podcast from Waitrose. In each episode, we talk to some very special people about what food means to them, asking about their comfort foods and favorite dishes, their food memories and go-to ingredients, and finding out a lot more about each of our guests in the process. Hello, Alison, how are you? Hey, hello. I'm all right, thank you. How about you? I am, as ever, I almost feel like this should be on a T-shirt now. I'm You're just pretty, okay. I'm pretty good. Was it just okay? I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> no, I'm pretty good. Um, I have got one for you this week. Oh, yeah. How are you when it comes to cooking with other people, being in the same space, somebody watching you as you cook, producing a meal together and both kind of chipping in. Are you good at that or are you bad at it? I have to admit, I'm a bit of a control freak in the kitchen. Oh, really? <laughs> so I don't mind them. How, I, don't, I don't mind people in the kitchen, but as long as they do what I say, that kind of thing. Yeah. But then at the same time, it's really helpful to just watch different people because you think, oh, I've not thought about doing it like yeah, that. Actually, yeah. actually, if you cut a picture, it's like the other day, my brother was eating a salad and he went, Alison, how do you cut the Romano peppers up in rings without <laughs> getting, and do you take the seeds out separately? And it was kind of, it's like, yeah, sort of. I kind of cut cut until the seeds and then cut it in half. And he was like, oh, okay. See little, little tips? Yeah, yeah. And I think that that idea of like learning by somebody observing you or you observing them. My mum watched me once uh, frying plantain and I wasted the little kind of nubby bit in the end. And she couldn't believe that I was wasting this tiny little squeeze of plantain. And now every time I do it, without fail... I think of her, I give it the little squeeze and, uh, you know, the waste, the waste gods are appeased. That's where watching, I love watching Instagram stories to see little tips and hacks about how they do different things, you know, whether it's cutting up a fennel to make sure you get the maximum out of it yeah. without the core and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's good. Yeah, you you learn so much, I think, from being in the same space as other people, cooking together, having friends around and it being that kind of collective effort. And... The reason I've come here wanting to talk to you about this is because our guest today, Sarit Packer and Itamar Shrulovich of Honey & Co fame, they have made a kind of empire out of cooking together their relationship, their husband and wife team with their Fitzrovia restaurants and their deli have really kind of revolutionized how we all think about Middle Eastern cuisine, how we all think about food and friends and flavour. They're incredible, aren't they? And you're a huge fan. Yes, I'm a fan of them already. I've been eating in their restaurants for years and their food is delicious. 
their cookbooks are great and their recipes are just really accessible. Yeah, they cook with such uh, love and heart and um, their uh, cheesecake, I've heard, is apparently pretty good. It's really addictive. And the, <laughs> but the best thing is you just want to invite them around for dinner afterwards. And, you know, they live locally to me. So I can, yeah, you just want to have them as your friends and have them around. That's hopefully where this will lead to. So let's uh, get on with it then, shall we? Um, here is our conversation with Sarit Packer and Itamar Shulovic of Honey & Co. Sarit Packer and Itamar Shulovic, uh, better known as Honey & Co., Thank you so much for joining us. We're so thrilled to have you on. I just want to start with the book and uh, Chasing Smoke. This is your new uh, third or fourth book, is it? Fourth Um, book, yeah. Fourth. And I just wanted to say a huge congratulations. It's an incredible cookbook. The recipes are gorgeous, but it's so riveting. This is your journey traveling around the Levant and following uh, these kind of live fire cooks and traditions around various countries. What was it like to put it together? It seems like a a passion project. Well, it does. And also it seems slightly like a dream at the moment because we basically spent 2019 traveling all around the Levant, you know, and like, who does that? You know, we just like almost every month we traveled and it's amazing. So we did uh, Turkey and Greece and Uh, Jordan and Egypt and Israel. And we just spent so much time traveling and meeting people and shaking people's hands and going into their kitchens. You know, it's like science fiction. You know, remember that time that we drank from a bottle of water that someone else drank from? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was amazing. (laughs) A different age. You're right, though. And I think that's that's part of the appeal, like just reading it. I mean, the first section is you cramped in a taxi weaving (laughs) through traffic in in Cairo and you can smell it, you can hear it, you can feel it. And I think for all of us that have been craving travel and craving the sort of eating memories and experiences that go hand in hand with that, it's just an absolute joy. And yeah, you're right. It feels like a different life and a different world. But it's also part of the world I've not really done much traveling in, but actually just reading what you've written, I actually feel like I'm there with you and, you know, in the taxi kind of swerving around the lanes and and eating the food. It's just brilliant. That's that's really nice to hear. I mean, really when we set about writing this book, it wasn't, I mean, of course we wanted to travel and we want to see this thing, but the, the more stories about the travel came when we, because we were writing it during lockdown actually. So just this kind of passion for travel and Itamar's beautiful stories about what we were doing and all of this stuff. Like we, mm. as he, as he was writing them, we were kind of remembering these amazing experiences mm. as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So it kind of it coincided well. It wasn't always the plan. The Levant, Levantine cooking, it's something that we hear a lot about and you guys are obviously such great exponents of it and real um, have really popularized this way of cooking and flavor and linking those various countries together. How would you define it? Well, it's it's a really tricky one to to pin down because you, you would say Levantine cooking or Middle Eastern cooking, what is it? It's like saying European food or Asian food. You know, it's it's a very broad region and very, very, very diverse as well. But there are there are certain sort of threads that 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 run through it, be it spice, the vegetables, the herbs, the freshness. But more than that, it's kind of I guess a, a, a spirit of hospitality that is that is so ingrained, you know, 
we know it from home and definitely from our travels. It is so open, such warmth and hospitality and friendliness at all centers around, you know, the, the table and food. This is true for everywhere we went in the Levant, in the research for the book and before that and from growing up in the region. So I, I can say there is such a thing as a Levantine spirit of cooking as, as opposed to Levantine cuisine. Yeah, and I, I always think it's also because it's not, it, you know, it's not a cultures that are so much based on alcohol and stuff like that. So this kind of common ground of meeting and sitting with people is eating. And it's like everything is about the the eating, the celebrating, whether you come over and you have like a coffee and a cake. This is like one of our funny things yeah. to say. It's like as soon as you meet someone, it's like, do you want a coffee? Do you want some cake? Like you can't, <laughs> nice. you can't even like meet someone without food being mentioned. And then everything else is, is revolving around this kind of, first of all, because there's amazing holidays. So you kind of celebrate. And, you know, right now it's um, it's Ramadan. So every evening is like a street party in the region, which is just so much fun. Like there's, you know, there's so much energy in the air and everyone's going out to eat. Not well, this year it's a bit different. I know. Who, who were we talking to just a few weeks ago? Oh, yeah. Uh, we were talking to Erdem, who's this really beautiful guy that we met, we met in Turkey. He's the son of uh, a really famous Turkish food, food writer. And he was showing us around uh, his hometown of Gaziantep in, in southern Turkey. We spoke to him a couple of weeks ago and we said, you know, why is it that, that the food in, in Gaziantep is such a huge thing and it's so delicious and everyone is so skilled? And he said, you know, yeah, we don't have, we don't go to the theater, we don't go to the <laughs> ballet, we don't much like movies, we don't have bars, clubs. This This is what we do, we eat. We cook and we eat. This is our cultural expression. You know, I don't think he used those words, but this, I think, is what he meant. And I thought, yeah, I love that. But if you're cooking over smoke and fire and, and char grilling and that kind of thing, you've got that theatre that's happening once you're cooking the food as well. So it's kind of, and then you get to eat it. So it's like a win-win. It is a win-win. And it's, it's a theatre of food, but also it's this kind of primal instinct of man fire, <laughs> fire. You know, it's like this, you know, there's this like amazing kind of celebration of, of watching flames and watching stuff cook and smelling it. And obviously the weather is so, you know, is so conducive to sitting outside and barbecuing and eating and stuff like that. Yeah. That it's just a massive part of what everyone does. The lovely thing about your the, your new book is the fact that you've got that little paragraph at the end of each recipe for the English weather, how to do it <laughs> not on a barbecue, how to do it inside if it's raining and still enjoy the, the food. Because, you know, we, we've had years, we don't have a garden and <laughs> we, we love grilling, we love barbecuing. We had to open a really big restaurant in order to do that in London. <laughs> like, really, we, we had to spend so much money on extraction. Is that why you're redoing your kitchen? And just because you're really, it's just an excuse to really beef up the extraction unit at home. In lockdown, we have been doing so much cooking at home rather than in the restaurants, obviously. Mm. And the kitchen just started falling apart in our hands yeah so yeah. now at the end of lockdown we're we're redoing our kitchen finally <laughs> well, we, yeah. we got to a stage that we're, like when you turn the oven on the cutlery drawer steams up and when you when you open like a, a drawer then the pole stays in your hand so this is this is the amount of abuse our, our kitchen gets you mentioned there lockdown how have you guys coped i mean it's you're you're our first couple that we've had on you're successful as a professional partnership how have you managed to to make it work really throughout this time i just just last night I, I didn't sleep well so i was i was uh running in my head and i thought actually when we came when we first came to london 
we it was kind of like that because we didn't know anyone. We didn't have money for anything. So we were just stuck <laughs> in a, you know, in a tiny studio apartment in Clapham North, just trying to <laughs> pass the time. And I think this is like, as, as a, that was like 15 years ago, but I think this as a couple, this was like our forming years. So I, yeah, we, we yeah. kind of fell quite comfortably to that sort of mode of just like being in our own little bubble. It, it works for us. I don't know. No, I mean, it did. At the, at the beginning, it was like a bit of a holiday. We said, oh, this is kind of a bit like a holiday. Our restaurants are closed. Nobody can call us. Let's take a book and we'll sit on the sofa and we'll kind of read it. And that was the beginning. I think we got bored quite quickly. Because we did reopen for like, uh, we started, you know, uh, doing takeaway cooking a bit for the NHS. We Basically because we were bored and we had restaurants that, you know, you, we suddenly closed the doors on restaurants full of food. Mm. And we just yeah, thought, yeah. what what what's going to happen here? We don't know how long we're closing for. And there's like yeah. all these like dry stores and everything. And what are we going to do with it? So we kind of went back in and started actually like almost like a cookie factory at the beginning wasn't it like people on first <laughs> lockdown were cookie obsessive <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. we made so many cookies and you know we're lucky to have an online shop and stuff and mm. like we could not believe how many cookies and jam people were like consuming in that first <laughs> lockdown i think the other lockdowns progressively the food became slightly healthier but the first one was pretty like <laughs> yeah. so we did a lot of kind of cooking a lot of trying to reinvent ourselves and what we're doing and you know, slowly bringing teams back and, and kind of, I think maybe spending more time, to, even though we do obviously spend a lot of time together, spending more time than we ever had before. Really. Yeah. Is that because you'd have normally in a normal time been at different restaurants? Cause you've got honey and co as well as honey and smoke and, and honey and spice the shop. Yeah. And also we decided, uh, kind of I think after we had opened the Honey and Smoke, the third place, we said yeah. we need to kind of divide and conquer here. We can't all be at every place all the time. And, and you know, so we kind of did like a, not an absolute division, of course, but like, you know, Itama was more in charge of Honey and Co. I was more in charge of Honey and Smoke. We, we kind of didn't mm. spend all day yeah. together because it's impossible. It's also impossible for a place to have two heads all the time. And I yeah. think like rule, <laughs> rule of thumb, we get along better outside of work, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. At work, we can get like a little bit territorial. Mm. <laughs> no, we can get a little bit like, who's the alpha here? <laughs> I just wanted to pick up on the um, on the NHS, cooking for the NHS, which seems like, an, uh, you know, a lot of chefs did it. And I think it's a real, it was an amazing thing to do. And, and you mentioned there that it was a lot of the time born of wanting something to do and wanting to keep active. Like, what was your experience and memory of doing that? I think we, we all had that feeling of um, helplessness, you know? Yes, completely. The, the, yeah. the feeling of, of what, you know, this thing is happening. I'm not, it's happening to me. I'm not a part of it. And then we said, okay, we have to be active. We have, we, we are, we, we have to be useful. And um, we put a call out out there who, who, who wants food <laughs> and uh, we got uh, contacted by um, the Royal Free in Hampstead. And we a few people approached us saying, oh, yeah, uh, we can deliver. And then we just started cooking. We just did, you know, lunchboxes mm. with, with whatever we had. And that was kind of our, you know, um, yes, it's altruistic or maybe. But for us, it was really a lifeline for us 
suddenly yeah yeah we we had something to do we were of value again and and it i think it's you know it saved us in a way it gave us a lifeline and and actually i'm so so proud to be part of that industry now because i think you know people this our industry hospitality really i know so many people who just just like us they said we don't care we just want to do something we just want to be yeah, part of that yeah. community. We just want to give back. Because after after the, doing the the boxes for the NHS, didn't you then start doing things on a Friday night? Yeah, because we had opened just for a bit. You know, there was this yeah. stage where we allowed to open suddenly, and we thought, oh, let's you know do something a bit more exciting for people, and let's start taking them on trips, kind of because we were writing this book and we were very immersed mm. in this mm. aspect of like. The Levant, and we just thought, okay, we're going to do some supper clubs about the countries we went to, and people will have a full meal that will kind of be like a holiday because no one was going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so that we did those while it was open, and they went really, really well. And then we had to close down again, and we were like, wait, why, why stop this? Why not give people an experience at home that is like going on holiday? And every kind of Friday, uh, Friday and Saturday, we still do it now. You kind of. You, we choose a country that's around the Levant or the Middle East because we're also going a bit to Morocco and we're, we're extending mm. it slightly. Mm. But uh, yeah, choosing a different kind of uh, country every week, designing a menu that we think we would eat if we were there somewhere mm. and yeah, sending yeah. that to, to people from like from everything, from like the little nibbles at the start and the meze and, and main and, and dessert and sometimes like little other things, you know, they get like little gifts that are supposed to put them in the mood for feeling as if you're on holiday. We got amazing feedback on it. We had we had people like sending us flowers. Who sends flowers to a restaurant? <laughs> it was really <laughs> moving. Like it's really really lovely. It's amazing. We yeah. had some really yeah, nice yeah, cards yeah. from yeah. people, and and you know people really kind of embraced us in taking it into their home and kind of you know so, some people have ordered every single week every menu since yeah, the start. Yeah. I mean that's wow. amazing to see, and that's that's a really special kind of thing that this pandemic has formed is like this feeling that. We're part of a community that you want to support the places you want to mm. support and you want to kind of make sure they survive this. Yeah. Just hearing you two talk, it seems like your your sensibility as far as food and hospitality is like very much in sync. But you had quite different culinary upbringings, would we say? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm English. I mean, in a, you know, my pe- my parents and grandparents are British and they kind of made the decision to move to Israel before I was born uh, as a young family. And, but still, even though they had moved to another country where I grew up is like a little enclave of kind of not, maybe not Middle England, but definitely Jewish England. So like very like, you know, very North London kind of Jewish England <laughs> right, kind of thing. Right, Our neighbours wow. all spoke English. All their friends were Anglo-Saxons. <laughs> so what would meals be like as growing up? Well, the family meals would be like my mum's specialty would be like uh, a chicken pie or she would cook like uh, she had a really good Madur Jaffrey, you know, curry lemon chicken thing oh, that wow, my family fantastic. still eats. And like, I, you know, she would cook Delia Smith and I would like that le- my first books learning from with Delia Smith and Good Housekeeping and all of those things and really it was like my friends would come because you know we do this thing israel's like you go home from school with a friend or a friend comes to you or that's what you do because all the parents work (laughs) and you you know anyway so 
my friends would come over and be like, what is this food? Why are you just like... It's very why exotic you, for Israel. It's very, why are you boiling green beans? Who boils green beans? Green beans should be in like a sauce with cumin and preserved lemons. And what is going on? Who just eats green beans? And like all this stuff, you know, and, and definitely like our funny joke was to tell all our friends, mom, I just chocolate spread and spread it in that thickness <laughs> and make the light into it. And they would like, oh. oh. wow. So it, That's a really good one. Yeah. So like we, we, we really like they would laugh at us so much. And I would do the same with other people. I would go to their houses and be like, what is this food? Why have you cooked this meat until it's falling off the bone and all these spices? I don't understand it. So it's like this kind of very different. uh, My exposure Mm. came later in life to this food. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you came came to it as a relative outsider in in a strange way, like, and you were discovering it anew. So was that part of when you met Itamar and obviously his? It is a lot. And I think it's what was interesting is it's not only I was discovering my whole family in a way with this discovering the local food as we grew mm-hmm. up you know that gets more interest you go out to restaurants that are local you start eating the food and then you start experiment with cooking it and then when Itama and I met we were mm-hmm. very much in this head of like we want to cook European food this is the exciting food you know yeah. we, we met in an Italian <laughs> restaurant you know all our thinking was like how do you cook French how do you cook Italian how you know it wasn't at all about being proud of what is locally available. That kind of, right? Wow. Yeah, that came from like a place of, yeah, we would go out to all these places and we would enjoy like an amazing, like kebab, like a kind of local kebab restaurant, or we would go mm. uh, for falafel places and shawarma and all this stuff that's available there. But it was never in the thought that we would cook this food. Obviously Israeli food is in no small part down to the work of people like you and Ottolenghi, yeah. who obviously you both worked with yeah. and is, is in the ascendancy and it's, you know, people point to Levantine cooking and Middle Eastern cooking and it's kind of the vibrancy of it. You can't separate it from just the way people eat now. Like uh, at what point did you kind of have that light bulb moment that, oh, wow, maybe we should try to cook the things that we know and love i don't think it was a lie like when we when we came to london when we came here like so it said we were looking to you we were work, we were cooking european food we were looking into sort of uh you know asian pacific rim that was fashionable at the time what was you know uh, what was called uh, modern european and we were looking for the middle eastern food so we would go to Lebanese restaurants in, in Knightsbridge, yeah. mm. the, you know, Ishbila and Betadine, which are amazing. Yeah. Mm. We would go to Green Lane to the Turkish Grill House for that taste of home. And and we would bring tahini. So it was very, we were, we were seeking those flavors, but we didn't really think about cooking it, you know, uh, that people had an appetite. I don't think until we started working on Tulengi. Okay. Mm. And starting to see people reacting to it. No, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so. I think it's definitely what we were eating at home. And like some of our favorite dishes were, were then some of the first dishes we put in honey and co. But like True. Yeah. It, when we had started in Otolingian, we suddenly saw people have this like passion for this like color and vibrancy and, yeah. you know, the big salads and stuff like that. We thought, oh, maybe this is something that's interesting to people. Yeah. It, yeah. We kind of, and it was funny because we, when we had joined, which is a very long time ago. <laughs> um, so was that about 15 years ago or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So it was, a f- well, maybe not 15 because it was a few years after we had come here because we were working at the Occitan and Jay Sheik is in very kind of local places. Mm. Mm. Um, and then we kind of, thought 
Well, first of all, Sammy Tamimi is the, you know, he mm. used to cook this most amazing star food, but it was never the food that went to the customers so much. It was the food we would right. eat as star food. It's really yeah, funny, yeah. you know, like, and, and it would bring all these memories of home and, and it's, it's all of these things, like almost kind of thinking, oh, but this food is so delicious. Somebody wants to eat this. Somebody yeah, is yeah. going to like enjoy this. And it wasn't so planned in our head we didn't have mm. this like massive kind of <laughs> business plan on <laughs> what we were gonna plan, do yeah. yeah i think i i was in notolengi for almost five years and i just wanted to to kind of become like itama had wanted to open a place for a long time i was ready to be my own boss and, mm. and you know and we kind of said let's just open and, and start cooking and we'll just see what happens it wasn't that we said Okay, we're gonna bring the new kind of whole, you know, yeah. the the the, the we're revolutionize. Whole, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. We wanted to kind of cook food we enjoy and see what people enjoyed, and people just. It was kind of also not that long after the the financial kind of crisis of two thousand and eight, and 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 people were looking for a bit kind of cheaper, more of kind of casual dining experiences. Yeah. It wasn't about the fine dining yeah. anymore. And we just fell in a right place and a right time for people with like really homey food, really honest, quite big portions, mm. you know, a, a, and kind of a small place. It didn't feel like a chain, you know, yeah. all these like massive chains. London was like, mm. still sadly is blessed with a lot of chains mm -hmm. of restaurants, but <laughs> it was kind of this kind of, it just struck a chord with people and it very quickly became clear to us that this food that we eat at home, people are going to want to eat. Yeah. Yeah. Why Honey and Co? While we remember, where did, where did that come from? The the name? Well, it's, it's not, not, not such a good story. It just, you know, it just, you know, it sounded nice to us. We wanted something with, with a sweet connotation. Mm. So we were toying around with things like, like honey and then, it was too short, so we ended the end company. But <laughs> then after a few years later, a friend of ours was sitting there and she said, oh, yeah, now I'm getting it. So, honey, that's kind of the sweetness and all the good things in life. And company, you know, that's the people around it. Now it all <laughs> makes sense to me. And we're like, yeah, finally you got it. Yeah. <laughs> Took you a while. You planned it completely. But, yeah, we're like, write this down, write this down. Yeah. <laughs> right, all that down. So that's yeah. the real so, story. Yeah it, yeah, it was a very yeah. simple... Uh, <laughs> I yeah. wondered if there was some link to Sarit being the pastry chef at Ottolenghi's. No, I think we we definitely... Actually, it, to, to be extremely honest, <laughs> when we opened Honey & Co, I told Itama, I am not making cakes. Okay. I had just <laughs> I had just done four years as executive pastry chef for the Ottolenghi group. Yeah. That's a lot of cakes. And then I did Noppy, which was like a very kind of fine dining, very mm. kind of, you know, I was exec chef there. And I kind yes. of said to him... I'm not doing any of this. I want real food. I don't want cakes. I want honest stuff. I'm not, this is I'm not about it. fusion. This is, yeah, I'm over it for now. I need yeah. something different. And he laughs at me so much because then the first day I'm like making pita breads, baking a cake, you know, all this stuff. And he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I can't fight the urge, but it really wasn't like, I really needed to not be about cakes for, for you know, for a while. So yeah. definitely, that, that worked out for yeah. you, didn't it? <laughs> I mean, I, I will tell you, like, our pastry section is so complex. <laughs> there's, there's nothing under the sun that they don't. These guys do ice creams, dessert, so many types of bread in a day, cakes. Jams, um, spice mixes. Yeah, it's mad. I'll tell you what, it's your it's, cheesecake yeah. that I just love. That was honestly the funniest thing. 
like that cheesecake. Yeah. I don't know if I've said the story too much because it's quite embarrassing, but we kind of didn't really have any, <laughs> we didn't really have any desserts on the menu in Honey and Co. Yeah. And at the beginning we had like a, a couple of cakes that were on the display, but no desserts. And one of my good friends is a chef now and actually a chef, now a head chef in Australia, mm-hmm. but he used to work with me and he came to eat. Um, and he said, what's going on? Like you're queen of desserts. There's no dessert on your menu. <laughs> and I was like, cause I can't do it. I don't want to do sweets. And he was like, you can't. So I said to him, fine, I'll think of something. And I literally just went into the kitchen and whipped this thing up yeah. without a recipe, without anything. Everyone tried it and was like, oh my God, it's been, <laughs> now it's been on the menu for nine years. I can't, I can't take it off. It's, it's an icon. It's a justified. Honestly. Yeah, and yeah. I, when I, when I hired the first pastry chef, I had to, the, for the first time, instead of just mixing this, I had to weigh what I was doing oh. so that she would know what to do and I'm not there. It was that kind of weird, just coincidence of things that this, and now this dish cannot go off the menu no, no. at all. Your reluctance, Eric, to, to carry on with the pastry cooking and your urge to do other things and explore other parts of kind of, um, of the kitchen and cuisine and other parts of the menu. Was any of that kind of like, I don't know, the gendered implication of like, you didn't want to be pigeonholed in that way. Cause it's, it's interesting as well in the book, um, there's an amazing chapter where you talk about, um, I think it's you, your dad, kind of him only being interested in barbecuing and kind of that kind of, you know, that macho pyromania and you kind of pushing against <laughs> that. And as you've said, honey and smoke is kind of your place, isn't it? And I think mm. you maybe didn't intend it to be that way around either. I absolutely didn't. And I think, look, I, I started off as a chef. My passion was always to be a chef. My first mm. kind of job mm. was in a fine dining Michelin star, you know, at the Ori, it was Chris Galvin. It was all very like about food and then at some Mm. stage even during there they kind of said to me oh do a stint on pastry as well Mm. and then you kind of get you get into this place as a woman you get put on the pastry section and I enjoy Mm. it Mm. I like pastry but it wasn't my only passion so then I had to kind of fight to get back onto the hot cooking path and then you know then I went to Israel and I was doing savory you know this uh, Italian place that I was cooking was savory and then I was running like a cafe and, and kind of cooking food and everything and then again you kind of you fall into pastry because as a woman, you, you kind of always, it's its this thing where you always get sent to the pastry somehow. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of like this weird uh, thing. And when we came back here, um, when I came back, sorry, because I was here before Itamar mm-hmm. and then we got married and came back. When we came back and all my experience was, was in Israel almost and restaurants here just looked at me and I was a woman and I was at a certain kind of age, I suppose, as well. And the only jobs I was getting offered were pastry jobs. Mm. And I was like, but I want to be in the kitchen. Mm. And they were like, well, we have this pastry position. This was like the, (laughs) you know, but this is like almost uh, 17 years ago or something like that. It wasn't, anyway, you know, I love pastry. I love doing it. I find it very easy, but it's not the only thing I want to do. So yeah, somehow this all kind of happened where I ended up doing, you know, more of honey yeah. and smoke, which wasn't the plan, but I love it. Yeah, yeah. She's 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 being very modest, but she is, you know. Oftentimes, you, they say, or this is kind of the um, common knowledge, is that you know you're either a chef or a pastry mm. chef, and you can be really good at one or the other. But I think Sait is one of. I, I don't know how true that is, but Sait really, in in my experience, is one of the people who is extremely extremely talented in both areas mm-hmm. like the top i think it's very sweet you know of you. And, and and her pastry like how she does pastry i've never seen anyone mm. 
like that. Like like she described making that cheesecake, you know, everyone says, your oh, pastry is a science, you need to measure, you need to do this. And she's just like, just instinct. Yeah, take some of this, take some of this, take some of this, <laughs> best cake you ever had in your life. Oh, wow. Don't talk to One me One of now. those people yeah. that drives other, other chefs yeah. mad because, yeah. yeah recipe, what it? is a recipe? Recipes are disgusting. <laughs> yeah. That is incredibly sweet. And I wonder when you first met, was it your attitude to food or a shared sensibility? Was that what kind of drew you to each other? What are your memories of first encountering each other? Oh my God, it was quite a slow burn. It's not that we were like, by any means, it was like, a really slow burn, yeah. we did not jump into each other's hands and it was not love at first sight. Uh, I don't know, we were working together and mm. actually I was your boss, if we yeah. think about it that in the actual way. He's also much younger, than, well, he's two years younger. Um, <laughs> he was so messy. He was like, oh, and he really uh. didn't care. He was kind of like, oh. I'll just cook. But to be it. fair, I hated that kitchen. Well, that's <laughs> like really hated. He it. also acted like he hated it, and you, I was you like, "You did as well." We all hated well, it. Well, I was a sous chef, and I was trying to kind of instill some kind of like Water. sense of like we can do this, um, and it really we wasn't couldn't. working. <laughs> but what happened was we kind of became quite friendly with a, a, couple, a couple of the other chefs in that same kitchen. Uh, we started hanging out together as a group and yeah. they were all boys because this is kitchens of the day, you know. So. Yeah. But th this is the thing, like if you work in a place that you hate, it really brings up, like brings people yeah. together. Yeah. And then kind of, we, we kind of, I don't know, we started hanging out more and we went out to eat and we did all these things. And then I actually left with the other sous chef and we opened our own kind of business. Mm. And then... Itaman and I kind of started dating. I, th I suppose it all kind of happened at the same time. It was yeah. also easier for me to leave the job before I started dating someone that was there. But it was definitely no. But I think we th I think didn't we start before you left? Yeah, yeah. We we did start. Before <laughs> yeah. that, but we didn't tell but anyone. Not officially. <laughs> not officially. Yeah. yeah, we were we were on we the were slide. A secret, and then we yeah. were busted, weren't we? We, we were busted going to a movie. We were busted in in Israel. It's near impossible not to get busted. It's such a small country that yeah. you can't yeah. like, go on dates and not get busted because everyone knows everyone. We've not talked about your podcast, and yeah. but this is another element of the. Um, the community that you've really kind of fostered there and you you have got you know Alison it's fangirling about the cheesecake <laughs> but like you have got super fans and you so the food talks and they would be every Monday evening would they and you'd kind they of record were, so them and there'd be an audience yeah how, how did the how did it all play out and how did it start we just really wanted to get to meet all of the people that we're f you know fan girl slash boy mm. about <laughs> and yeah. all of the the people that we kind of we admire in our industry yeah. and are interested and when we opened the deli which was kind of by mistake we opened it but we said you know this needs to be kind of our 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 little dream shop mm. so all of our kind of little fantasies that we had that we couldn't fit in the restaurant, they went there. So it became uh, a bookshop and an ice cream oh, shop amazing. and, you know, a spice shop. And we said, you know, it, this, it needs to be a vehicle for that. And we knew that there's enough kind of food geeks in our kind of, in our beat, in our, you know, uh, client base to, to be really interested in that. And we said, okay, let's go. 
you know, let's start inviting people. Let's do evenings. Let's cook their food. We weren't recording them mm. at all. Yeah, we weren't record. We weren't recording them at first. We were just doing the evenings, and it was more about yeah, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, realized yeah. we could just ask these people to come, and they mm. might just come, you know. And 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 that was it. And then we we had this crowd, and it was like cramped, and like thirty people in this room. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we we would do we would sell like twenty five tickets, just like not you know we we it's of like ten or five or something like that, and they would sell out in like seconds, and we'd have like <laughs> you know people complaining, and it become like a really aggro. And we said, fine, we're going to record it, and everyone's yeah invited. But then it got a little bit even more unfair because we always cook in those evenings, right. so if we have someone coming, we would cook their food yeah, and we'd yeah. give everyone yeah. like a little taster. And it's, it's always like, it's always really nice. They really were amazingly hot tickets. Cause I managed to come, I managed to book a few. I was quick <laughs> off the mark and, and came to a few of them, but it was just. Like trying to get Glastonbury tickets. Yeah, right, it was, it's the food got equivalent got of Glastonbury. In, in, <laughs> but it's much better. Than you, you, you know, that last person to arrive almost put their, brought their chair in yeah. and shut the door because yeah. there was the very last space and but the smell and yeah it's just amazing those evenings which one which ones did you come to which one do you remember so who did i go and see i went to olia hercules and i also went to one with chetna mccann oh love chetna the other thing you do besides the podcast is you have a weekly column in the financial times how did you sustain that during lockdown actually this was fun i love that we have this column i love it so much I think it's, you know, kind of the really very different work from doing the books. I think because it's so immediate, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the feedback is so immediate and uh, we've been doing it for a while now. And so you have a little, I don't know how to explain it, but a, a rapport, I yeah. guess, mm. with, you know, and the readership. Yeah, I don't know, yeah, it's yeah, weird to course, say yeah. because it's not... I mean, for you guys, it's, maybe it's obvious because you're journalists, but for me, it's, it's you get a lot from it, don't you? And then we get to see the readers in the restaurant and they say, oh, yeah, uh, we live in Carlisle and, and we cook your recipes every week and mm. we're so glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Or we have these correspondence with, with people around the world. We had, you know, pots of jam <laughs> sent to us from Singapore. Wow. <laughs> we have, you know, it's it's this kind of, really a very different kind of intimacy that I've, I've never encountered in anything else that we've done, you know, including no no disrespect to the books, but there is something very immediate and very alive about the, the column. Yeah. Don't people also bring in their quinces yeah. for you? <laughs> Loads. To, cause, cause they, yeah, yes. I just yeah. I can't believe that it's when our I saw that. Thing. Uh, you're going to have to explain well, this one because, to me, guys. What's what's going on? People are bringing in quinces to you to the, at the restaurant. Yeah, so people have, apparently, there's a lot of uh, quince trees yeah. in this country. In people's gardens. And people and don't people know what don't, to do with them. Yeah, and they're very, mm. yeah, they're very, very abundant. People, you know, even if you have a quince tree, you, there's, there's only so much jam that people make at home and, and people don't know what to do with them and they don't want to let it go to waste. So we're kind of, <laughs> there's kind of like an underground <laughs> community of quince growers. And then we would come to work and have like a bag of quince <laughs> outside. Or we would have, you know, I, I went to the Inns of Court once. I've never been there in my life to uh, a barrister's office on the fourth floor. And I left with, with, 
two massive bags of quince and I kind of struggled with it. And I, I had to go into a, a, to take it back to work in a black cab. And, you know, yeah. they smell amazing. Yeah. So I was in this, like in the traffic of central London when there was traffic with in a black cab with the most amazing smell. Yeah. And I didn't want the traffic to go. I just wanted to stay yeah, yeah. in that perfect he moment. Text, he was texting so, me. I've got like 40 yeah, kilos of quince. Do you want to get ready? <laughs> <laughs> poised to uh yeah to turn them into something tell us do you have any essential ingredients what does your essential larder look like because like, you know it wouldn't be one ingredient i'm sure you've got kind of a basic thing that's always there olive oil like 50 types of olive oil, olive oil. Um, yeah, it is lot. kind of i suppose the, the basis of every everything we cook are there things that that just one of you really likes that live in the larder for just one of you that the other one can't stand or no, can't stand but i'm not a massive fan of chili mm. so anything that we have to do with chili or spice uh is for itamar i wouldn't mm. really it's just not my thing i don't yeah. like my i don't like yeah, the tingling yeah, on my yeah. tongue and my lips i don't like it so much so there's some that i would have there's certain harissas that i think i, I would i quite enjoy and yes, there's like smoked yeah. or for chili stuff like that i'll go for that but i mm. don't mm. I, I never have like tabasco or you know, sriracha, mm. any of these things I would never, ever put on food myself. So if we have any of that, that's for Itamar for sure. And are you the polar opposite then, Itamar? You're I, I mean, like if I would cook uh, dinner just for myself, it would be either Mirasoda's uh, chili paneer, mm. which is so good. <laughs> it's so good. You have to try yeah. it. Or the Otolengi black pepper tofu, yeah. but like with <laughs> all the chilies. Yeah. yeah. This is like really, really well, spicy. I can't even and, eat that dish. Like I taste it and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to explode literally. Yeah. And then you really, you, you kind of smell of garlic and onion for days because there's so much but in it. it. But it's so it's good. Like a, yeah. yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, it's worth it's it. It's so good. It's so good. And then Sarit has, uh, can I tell? What are you saying? <laughs> she she likes the horrible. Um, oh, what's it called? I, I do love a jelly baby, but I you know I try and I try not oh, <laughs> I try not to babies. eat like jelly you know all the jelly sweets and actually like the mm. kind of really rubbish ones are my favorite ones, which is really bad. I've I've got a sweet tooth, but I try to never ever buy them actually. So it is a it's something yeah, I like yeah, that yeah. I don't buy. Um, but I mean, there's lots of other stuff we do. I mean, we always have lemons. We always have garlic. There's always loads of cumin, mm. tahini, 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 of course. Um, yeah. <laughs> never without soy sauce. It never without so, never without miso. Mm. Miso is one of my favorite ingredients yeah. for, for home cooking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. it just adds kind of a depth of flavor. And always lots and lots of vegetables and herbs. This is kind of mostly what, yeah. uh, what we eat. Yeah. Any particular yeah. fresh herbs? Always parsley. Uh, there's always parsley there's always mint whether it's for tea or for going into food uh, yeah. but uh, you know yes. we love some dill we love tarragon kind I love of, dill yeah a coriander like we're really there's not for in, I think apart from bananas in the world of fruit and vegetables there isn't anything I don't like I don't like bananas I'm the only person in the world but yeah I don't like them so Sarit with yeah. the miso uh, using it in home cooking what sort of things are you putting it in I, I mean I Absolutely love me. So, and it kind of, it's ended up in everything that, we, that, that I do just to give it like an oomph. So if, uh, 
a lot of times I just marinate like a piece of chicken in it, a bit of kind mm. of rice wine vinegar, a bit of honey, rub it around a chicken, roast it. That's delicious. But also we've made cookies with it because it's delicious. This, yes. this. I, mean, I mean, can I say like for baking, unbelievable, mm-hmm. like the, I have it, to say my, like the tastiest thing that ever was created is Saritza, <laughs> the apple cake with the miso and the miso caramel. Miso caramel, I can't even yeah. say that oh, without, wow. without like starting to drool. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It is like car- caramel and miso. They work so well together. It's yeah, like kind do. of yeah. salted caramel thing and a depth of flavor. And she does like an oat topping yeah. on it. So it's crunchy. Yeah. And then you get the miso caramel sauce. You just are in heaven. Oh, wow. Just Sounds amazing. We have to send you the recipe and you make it straight away. Also, <laughs> that sounds incredible. my creation and development that was so successful, everybody's, internet, everybody's been making, because I never <laughs> bake, you know. But then I had this in my head that I'm going to make uh, miso and walnut and chocolate chip cookies. Wow. Nice. Wow yes. is the correct word. I made yeah, those. Yeah. Explosion. Everybody's been making them. <laughs> Try them. Understand why. They're so good. Like, so, so oh. good. And we started making them at work. And the, and the other day in Green Lanes, we this is our claim to fame, right? In Green Lanes, a woman <laughs> shouted at us from the other side of the street, the miso cookies, the miso cookies. <laughs> because, guys, this is what we need to tell you. The miso cookies. Yeah. Miso, miso cookies. Wow. Yeah. Miso wants I love that, that. That's just become your kind of almost yeah. your name. Yeah. Yeah. Just miso, miso cookies. cookies. Yeah, yeah. You've made them yeah. famous, even if you say you're not a baker. You, they're great. Yeah. Yeah, match that side, wow. you and your cheesecake. Yeah, whatever. Nobody yeah. cares about your cheesecake. Yeah. Whatever. Cheesecake and miso cookies. Well, um, Sarita and Itamar, Honey and Co., this has been an absolute joy, a delight. Your love for food is infectious. And yeah, this has been great. Thank you. You know, it was so much fun. And yeah. I, I hope that we can, before too long, meet up for cheesecake somewhere around yes, Warren definitely. Street. Definitely. Cheesecake. Yeah. yeah. yeah That'll be very exciting. Cheesecake and Please. miso cookies. Yes. Yeah. We, would, we yeah. would love yeah. to see you guys IRL. Thanks so much for having us. You've been listening to Life on a Plate from Waitrose. I'm Jimmy Famarewa. Thank you to my co-host, Alison Okavi, and our guests, Sarit Packer and Itamar Srulovic. To learn more about the series, go to waitrose.com forward slash podcast. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.